Hey, Jordan. How's it going? Rob. What's up? Oh, my God. I'm so excited. Rob, have you heard the news? What? I've heard a bunch of news lately. What are, what are we okay. talking about here? This is probably the biggest thing, and I cannot contain my excitement. So, Pete Buttigieg has been selected for Transportation Secretary. I did hear that. In the Biden yeah. administration. Isn't that great? Yeah, wonderful. Very He's happy for so him. so smart. He speaks so many languages. Yeah. I sent him a text, actually, of this, because we have kind of a personal... Oh, that's relationship cool. going on, so kind of a jealous. friendship. Yeah. Uh, so couldn't be couldn't be more thrilled for him. I mean, he did what he had to do in the primary. He was actually ahead of Biden when he dropped out and endorsed mm-hmm. and endorsed uh, Diamond Joe. So played a large role in uh, in in uh, getting uh, making sure Biden locked up that nomination. He did what he had to do. I'm happy to see that he's getting uh, rewarded for it. And he's like, he's qualified for that, right? Too, I think. Well, yeah, of course. He likes to play Ticket to Ride, the train board game. So yeah, yeah. And I'm pretty sure South Bend has like a really robust like public transport. I haven't like looked into it, but I'm pretty sure it's got a really like you know intricate public transport system that he's very familiar with. So, uh, yeah. I mean, it's only got like 40 or so buses, um, yeah. which is kind of small compared to similarly sized. Uh, cities. It's mostly just because it's a college town. But you know, he uh, he gained a lot of experience as the uh, as the executive of that of that city and really spruced up some of the walkways. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. And well, I mean, he has to be qualified because if this was just like a quid pro quo, uh, you know, you helped me out in the primary, I gave you a cushy administration job. I'm pretty sure that's illegal. So. <laughs> obviously, obviously, it has nothing to do with it. Um, and you know, as much as I might not be familiar with the the South Bend public transport system, you know, obviously it's Joe Biden. He knows what he's doing. So, yeah, uh, obviously, you know, Pete's very, very qualified for that position. Couldn't be more happy for him. We got to have yeah. him on the on the podcast sometime. Really, oh, I can. Yeah, I hope so. I really hope so. I think that'd be a huge get. Yeah. Um, I mean, in other news, and then you saw probably Lloyd Austin is being he's being recommended for uh, Secretary of Defense, and great choice. I yeah, I think it's fantastic. When he was at Raytheon, uh, he loved to play Risk. Uh, yeah, with some meetings. of his like coworkers and stuff. Mm-hmm. I've heard about those legendary. Yeah. Yeah. yeah in the Raytheon, really uh, the break room, some mm-hmm. of the Risk games that went on there, very 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 legendary. So I think that's couldn't be mm-hmm. knocked that pick out of the park as well. Yeah, it's just it's it's all W's across the board. Just really well, I know, fantastic. You know, so. I know you've been kind of making some some phone calls and stuff, and I know mm-hmm. you you know you play stuff like Fortnite, Call of Duty. I feel like that could mean you know you could potentially some kind of like Defense Department position for you, possibly. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. You know, could be something oh, to look into. Do you think? Oh my God, wouldn't that well, be great? Well, you got a kind of experience with a building, like those big structures and stuff. Like you can do, you can translate yeah, that into all kinds of different true. knowledge. Well, I like the games, yeah. Um, you know what I could do? If we want to think about long-term sustainable growth, I think they should put me in charge of recruiting. Yes, absolutely. I think, I think a good opportunity where we could start to go recruit uh, we recruit kids on Twitch. Yeah, I mean, you're already doing that kind of subtly without really going to being overt about it. So yeah. you can just really take that to the next level. They'll still really start to, yeah. yeah. Hello and welcome, everyone. It's the Insurgents, episode 52. 
and you've got Rob Rousseau here. Hey, what's up? This is Jordan. Jordan, I hope you're doing well. Uh, how's it going? Mr. Uh, Mr. Kind of scr- you're kind of a Scrooge, kind of sort of a Grinch figure, so this is obviously a tough time for you with you're all the holiday cheer going around, which I know makes you very unhappy, so. Uh, I'm the Scrooge? Well, yeah, you went you went on the big diatribe like two weeks ago. I, but I wish yeah, you hate, I hate Christmas. It. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah, okay. It's a shitty holiday, and now it's like I'm reinforced <laughs> in my hatred by the, all these people who are uh, traveling. And all the stories we're seeing at packed train stations and, and huge uh, crowds of people traveling and trying to get places, like, sucks. It really is amazing that there's just no effort being made whatsoever to restrict that in any way. Yeah. That seems kind of counterintuitive considering the, the number of people that have been infected with coronavirus and who have died from this over the last uh, eight months. Just to completely give up on any di- idea of containing that. Pretty messed up. Yeah. Um, we're, we're fucked. Yeah. Well, at least, you know, at least the Democratic Party leadership and Nancy Pelosi and everyone's getting the vaccine. So thankfully they're going to be okay. <laughs> thankfully they're going to be fine. I was worried uh, there for a little while that someone, someone might actually, have, you know, have to deal with some of that, but thankfully that won't be happening. Thank God. Yeah. So, uh, so we mentioned that the Pete Buttigieg transport secretary thing, and I yeah. think that's something you wanted to, you wanted to talk about actually seriously instead of just the, the in their like your normal like dumb bullshit way of doing it uh, what did you what did you want to mention about this because i know you had something on this yeah it was hilarious to kind of watch this all happen and like the usual suspects just rush out to be like what a smart choice excellent choice sir fantastic pick sir uh as they've done with like every every fucking pick like they just want to like roll over like this was the time we were told that they would push Biden left and like every shitty pick they're just like rolling over it's like please rub my belly sir have I been a good boy <laughs> sir it's the, the there were two camps and there was two different styles of argument in favor of Pete getting this position the first one was oh he's so experienced he gets it because he oversaw a city he was a mayor um, and as we alluded to like the bus fleet was like 40 buses t- like disproportionately small compared to other similarly sized cities not a not real experience or like a national transportation system like you want somebody at least who's you know familiar with like a, a giant subway system or something right especially if like one of the biggest challenges is going to be like light rail and uh or high speed rail and the other camp was he's a rising star they picked him to promote him and that kind of stuff and it's it's got to be the latter like you can't like reasonably argue the former um, which is a purely cynical move and something that Rob got to. But one of the funniest things I saw was, and now that people saw, was Adam Wren, who is a Politico reporter, who was the Pete beat writer in the primary, was tweeting out those anecdotes like Pete. Fun fact, Pete loves to play Ticket to Ride. He loves to play <laughs> Risk. It's like, what the fuck does that matter? So do I. Like, what? I'm not transportation. I shouldn't be transportation secretary. And it's like. Well, I think you should. Completely. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Turn it down. But the, it would it, it, it it's just like completely asinine justification, but it's like they're really grasping at straws. It's like he flips over a cup and they're just like, oh my God, can you believe this guy's amazing? <laughs> and it, it's just quit trying to sell us this guy. Like he's he's it's not working. You're grasping at straws, you're you're 
trying too hard and it's it's evident because that's not a realistic thing you would ever say about anybody else it's because you have this absence that you need to fill with justifications and you're reaching for fucking board games <laughs> like it should that's that's just so fucking telling yeah and uh no it is funny too because like that was at least initially i think a lot of what this democratic primary was about i think there's people like in the establishment of the democratic party that recognized the flaws that biden had and like didn't really want him to be the face of the party anymore and were kind of trying to anoint pete Buttigieg or trying to anoint kamala harris uh, who they knew could kind of maybe be sort of the young fresh faces of the democratic party without actually challenging power in, in any way and what was funny is like they both like had such a poor showing in that process. I mean, Pete obviously in the first few primaries did okay, but was on the verge of getting completely wiped out on Super Tuesday before he, he um, dropped out. And Kamala Harris, of course, didn't even make it, didn't get one delegate throughout that process, even though she was kind of very artificially held up as like the front runner for a while. And there's this very like specific uh, plan in place to anoint both of these uh both of these candidates as like the future of the democratic party and it completely failed but now they're like well we're still going to go ahead and do that anyway and we're still positioning uh both of them to like kind of take over the party when biden inevitably uh is not able to do it anymore uh which is just funny because like it's it's completely they were completely rejected by actual voters and by like rank and file democrats uh but it didn't change the strategy in any way to like we're no no we're still going to make these people kind of like the figure the like the centerpiece of our strategy for like the democratic party moving forward even though like no one is excited by them no one really cares um but you know we're going to do it anyway cuz that's kind of how these folks operate yeah i'm still waiting for that big progressive win yeah, still waiting. Eventually, well, I thought Neera Tannen still was the, waiting. That's what I thought that was. <laughs> they think it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and when this is something we're going to get to, especially in our conversation with uh, Dan from the internet, Dan Evans, who's our guest this week. We had a really good conversation about uh, a certain uh, online discourse that has been uh, uh, tearing up the the internet for now like ten fucking days. Um, which is based in something that I think a lot of people agree on, which is that the, the Democratic Party is very hostile to this kind of progressive change, um, and there does need to be a sort of strategy in place for dealing with that. Uh, and right now, uh, there are certain folks that believe that strategy is one thing, and I've been kind of accusing anyone that sort of dissents from this in any way as being like corporatists and uh, mask off neoliberals and say imperialists and saying all kinds of stuff. About the people who oppose this plan to have a floor vote on Medicare for all, so we got into that whole, whole controversy with uh, Dan from the internet, um, and uh, it was a, I think it was a pretty productive discussion with Dan. Um, he's going to be coming on in just a minute. We went pretty long with him, so we don't need to we don't need to chit chat too long here. One thing I did want to mention to you, um, I wanted to get your take on this because I think we kind of forgot to talk about it last week, even though it was like very pertinent, very uh, you know. Uh, kind of crazy news story that was in the news at that time, which is the ongoing quasi-coup, the willingness of Donald Trump to uh, openly challenge the election results. You had this like this uh, rally of like Proud Boys and right-wing groups in Washington last week where there's like fucking stabbings happening. And um, Donald Trump has not dropped this. The Republican Party has, has sort of started to drop it. Joe Biden is now officially president-elect. Um, you had McConnell sort of refer to him in that way once the Electoral College actually voted on this. 
but you still have Donald Trump uh, openly suggesting that it was stolen. You've got still many prominent conservatives uh, not letting go of this. There was there was stories this week in like Axios about how Trump has surrounded himself with a lot of these like cons- complete conspiracy theorist lunatics. He's openly asking about if the story is true, you know, who knows if it is. He's openly asking about like this insane plan to institute martial law and like redo the election. Are you getting a little bit more worried about this than maybe you were a week or two ago? Like uh, what's where, where are you on this now? Uh, do you think this is still just kind of a cynical ploy to raise uh, funds out of this whole incident, or do you are you starting to get nervous at all about what's going to happen when this uh, the supposed transfer of power is going to take place? Uh, still kind of the same. It's like just kind of just to be on alert, but not worry because it just seems like they're just kind of desperate. And I can't remember who said it, but some like it was a good point. It's like this entire quote coup relies on all of these different military institutions going all out in support of the what difference there is between Biden and Trump. Yeah. Like it just doesn't seem like they would stick their neck out like their necks out like that. Like nothing's really it's very clear nothing's really gonna change now. Yeah. So they're just like, yeah, whatever. So no, I'm not I'm not really concerned. I think the thing that um, I mean it's just I think the thing that concerns me, not that I think like the military would ever back Trump on something like that. Although as I've stated a couple times, I do think if this was an election that came down to like Florida there would this would be a completely different conversation and there would probably be a lot more support within the Republican Party and within the courts to go along with this if it was like if it was like plausible in any way to pretend that this was like close or to pretend that Trump is a chance um but we've seen the Supreme Court like roundly reject this which is a whole other problem because now like they they're coming across as like moderate and reasonable this like extreme right reactionary Supreme Court that's now in place um but it is still such a dangerous situation though and it's like uh with the fact that there's so many Trump supporters that really fervently believe this, um, and you just never know how they're going to react if Trump, <laughs> if and when Trump does leave office, and the thing that had the thing that has always been so unpredictable about Trump, which is that he's he's of course he's willing to like cynically wield this kind of like conspiracy theory thinking. But I do also believe he is genuinely like immersed in that himself and actually believes it. Like, I don't think even if he may have started off talking about this whole stolen election thing as just a strategy, I do think that in Donald Trump's like weird fucked up brain, he does actually believe a lot of this stuff. Um, And there are people around him. He's surrounding himself with people that that either believe it or are just willing to go down with the ship. And even though I might doubt that any like actual institutions are would support that if he tried to like go along with it it's still like a completely it's a still incredibly fucking dangerous situation and it's really unpredictable um so that's the kind of thing that is alarming me that like there's just no sign even after this got stopped by the supreme court there's no sign that he's given up on this kind of conspiratorial thinking even if trump is just using this to launch like a media platform where he can kind of pretend to be president in exile on on the oann or whatever uh, mm-hmm. there's there's no telling how this is going to affect people that are really so fervently believe in this kind of like trump cult like you saw that incident the other day where this like former sheriff fucking held like an air conditioning repairman at gunpoint because he thought that there was like hundreds of fake ballots in the guy's truck um you know 
It's like there's no way of knowing how, how how many other people there are that are like ready, willing, and able to like act on these deranged fantasies they have about Joe Biden being some kind of like deep deep cover Chinese agent who stole the election. Like people really believe this stuff, uh, mm-hmm. and it's it's incredibly volatile and dangerous situation. Even if institutionally, Trump probably doesn't have the power to actually you know do an actual coup on the government. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm just waiting and seeing. Yeah. Just kind of holding back on any type of fear or anxiety until it becomes... I don't know. It just doesn't seem like anyone's taking them seriously anymore. Yeah. Like, they're just like another... Just this morning, another desperate Supreme Court attempt. They're going to try to, like, overturn Pennsylvania's results. And, like, the Trump campaign specifically is filing the suit. Whatever. Yeah. Well, I guess that's the concern is that no one's taking him seriously in the media. It's almost kind of funny the way it's being mm-hmm. treated is like, oh, just like let him kind of do this and then eventually we'll get out him out of there. Um, no one's treating him seriously, like institutionally, really, even though there are still elements of the Republican Party that are willing to kind of use this kind of language. Uh, but there are still many people out there that are taking him very seriously about it. But um, yeah, maybe it'll be fine. Maybe he'll just like give him, maybe he'll, maybe he'll grow into the office and like the last day he'll become presidential. It'll be the day it'll be the day that he finally became president. The day before it'll be like okay, I'm gonna just like I'm gonna drop this now. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> um, uh, should we get to Dan? Yeah, let's get to him. This is already a pretty long episode, and we know that everyone is dying to hear more takes about the the force the vote uh, controversy. That has been just like tearing the tearing the <laughs> online left apart. Dan was really great to talk to about this, um, and he's going to be joining the show right after this. joining us we open up all these conversations with the same question dan are you a gamer i i do game from time to time yes yes Jordan. very nice thank you okay what do we got going on right now dan what are we what's the what's the game currently in the what's the rotation looking like so yeah I, i'm a little bit of an unconventional thing as in like i come to the games everyone's playing super late and i'm being proven in my strategy right seeing how cyberpunk 2077 is a mess so like in my free time, I just do a little bit of City Skylines. I like the relaxing, like, world builder games. I just got Hades on the Switch, which a lot of people mm-hmm. seem to like and really enjoy that as a game and say it's a really cool, like, JRPG thing. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of just getting out there around there. And then occasionally I'll play, like, Among Us with a small group of friends. But I'm just kind of branching out. I have this really nice gaming PC that I don't actually use as a gaming PC. So I really seem to branch out more. Jordan, you need to, like... <laughs> It, it, it continued to enlighten. I have okay. heard Hades is pretty cool. I've been playing Control. Yeah. Did either of you play Control? No, I haven't. I've been playing that. I, I know the the Gravel teens recommended that the last when they were on the show. They talked about their gaming stuff, and Control was really cool. Um, very cool, like aesthetic, sort of a, a design aesthetic of like this kind of like uh, labyrinthine, uh, demonic United States uh, bureaucracy. Uh, very very cool, like combat. Very fun. The story is a little bit whatever. The main character is kind of boring, but very cool combat system. I've been enjoying that quite a lot. Control. That gives my that gives that my my Rob recommends. Oh shit! It's holiday okay. season. The official. Get that Rob branded, dude. Yeah. Gotta get that branded. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be my new thing now. 
How about you? Oh, yeah. How about you, Jordan? You got anything going on right now in the gaming world? Uh, just Magic: The Gathering mostly. Uh, Fortnite. That's it. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. I've been playing through that again. Um, I gotta get the, the remastered, yeah. re-released yeah. version. I've been playing through those. I forgot how difficult it is to get like some of these very specific hidden items, like the secret tapes and all that kind of shit. Kind of frustrating, but I'm just remember the. Does it have all the old music from the old game, or is it a mix of new that music? Like plus plus some new ones. Yeah, damn, awesome. You got it. That's integral. <laughs> yeah, that was one game that I really remember from high school becoming like a highly highly addicted to for a, quite a while me and my like shithead high school friends coming back to my house after school and just like plopping down to play tony hawk pro skater and just like not moving or eating or doing anything for like you know eight straight hours until my mom kicks everybody out fond memories like, of that for, for me tony hawk's pro skater was something they installed with um computers at my school so it was like their fault for the fact that we yeah. were like addicted to an elementary school <laughs> yeah. but i imagine like especially in the aughts kind of thing where it's like oh not only are they like burnout skateboarders but they're playing a video game too yeah. like i guess just like the entire like interaction of that like oh yeah you're a bit of a freedom fighter for doing that at that time <laughs> oh yeah definitely wearing my jinkos rights yeah <laughs> get my jinkos on you know, <laughs> into the into the into the Tony Hawk zone. <laughs> That's cool, though. Well, uh, thanks for coming on to the show, uh, Dan. Uh, it's going to be a pleasure to speak with you about d- uh, day ten of discourse about Door Watch, <laughs> Jimmy Door, and uh, the Force the Vote uh, raging controversy that's just been. Uh, <laughs> Uh, rage against the latrine <laughs> yeah um i don't know it's been it's been pretty painful i think and this has been extremely toxic extremely toxic round of online discourse uh, i mentioned last week i kind of opted out of it um after mildly very tepidly weighing in on it initially and seeing what the what the temperature had already been turned up to um i was hoping to avoid you know talking about this anymore uh but you know here we are, o- over a week later, it's still going. What do we think about this? What, what's your take? What's your take, Dan, on uh, on the force the vote uh, online discourse <laughs> that's been... Okay, um, and actually, before you start, let me back up, because sometimes I've realized on the show when we talk about really, like, inscrutable online stuff, if you're not totally plugged into that, with the, if you don't have the exact kind yeah. of, like, extreme mental illness that makes you <laughs> constantly have to read about this shit that makes you miserable. Um, basically, this is a strategy. It was advanced initially by... YouTuber and comedian Jimmy Dore to pressure uh, progressive elements of the Democratic Party in Congress, AOC and the squad, these popular progressive congresswomen, pressure them to withhold their vote for Pelosi to retain the speakership of the House in order to force a vote uh, for Medicare for all. Just force them to bring that to the floor under the preconditions that they vote for Nancy Pelosi. It's a fairly simple idea. Uh, I don't see why it's become so, really why it's become such like a extremely toxic and divisive subject. But that's the that's the basic idea. Dan, what do you think about all this? Let's hear. I want to hear from you about this. Uh, like of all the like Trump had a couple really nice things that he said that were just really memeable, and this sounded like one of the ultimate uh, sounds good doesn't work kind of ideas <laughs> to come out of the like whole sort of Jimmy Dore area. And like for context, I don't know what like the intro you'll put on this, but I have had like the unique um, opportunity, uh, 
I guess, curse, whatever you want to put it, as working um, around like Jimmy Dore and working like with the Jimmy Dore like show to the extent that he was doing that at the Young Turks when I was working there at the time. And so I have a unique sort of eye into the way Jimmy Dore thinks of his show and prepares it in the way that he does. And like to the extent we can get more on that later, I am not a big fan of these sort of concepts where you're going to put your neck out there for something that's certainly going to lose for the principle of it. We already have a really decent idea of who's for Medicare for all and who isn't. Like the basically the internal fighting with the Democratic Party, that's one of the main dividing issues right now. So there's a lot of public record for each individual candidate. And definitely once the next Congress goes into session, there's going to be even more evidence as to who is for and against all these progressive issues we care about. But why should we die on Jimmy Dore's Hill? Like I I don't know, but I guess we can get more into that like in a sec. Uh, yeah. Uh, the one thing that I've noticed before we get into, like, I guess the argument is I've seen his former coworkers, former colleagues, people who've interacted with him, and mostly in this case, uh, women. But I'm sure this extends to some men as well. He is uh, extremely verbally abusive, demeaning, degrading. This guy's just, just fucking full of himself. Uh, yeah. And it's just not somebody that I really take seriously or pay attention to because of how he treats people yeah and and i think people are confusing as well when they talk about this and they say it's like tone policing or whatever and they say yeah. oh you know he's of course he's angry because he's passionate about these very like progressive ideals and stuff but like that's not really what we're talking about because i think like any of us can be classified as being angry about all kinds of uh progressive issues that are happening at any given moment uh and i think when we talk about this uh, it is going into this like kind of darker place where he has like a long history of kind of like verbally abusing people, particularly women. Yeah, yeah like he has a like, just really fast before he was a like YouTuber, he was a comedian and he had this history in comedy circles as well of being really angry at people. And to his credit, like he's been open to some extent about like his background and his like history with being like dealing with abuse as a kid and like kind of working through that. But like he in a lot of ways has not worked through that. And you can just look at it a lot of his like unhinged rants as of very recently to be able to tell. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's the thing. I, like, I, people fixated on like his house and stuff and I don't want to fixate too much on his background. It's not like I have a degree in political science or anything like that. Like I don't think, I don't think being a comedian should preclude anyone from being able to generate ideas and generate discussion about stuff. And I also don't not. want to like, I don't want to spend too much time talking about uh, Jimmy Dore. Um, because I think that's the one thing people have been saying when there's a, there's something to this as well, which is that like, oh, everyone's kind of, uh, you know, instead of talking about the merits of this idea, they're just talking about Jimmy Dore's character and, and tearing him down and just doing that. And I don't really have any interest in that. Um, although the only thing I'll, I'll say in response to that, which is that he's very intentionally put himself at the center of this conversation. So it becomes mm -hmm. kind of inescapable to talk about this idea without talking about Tor because, you know, he's he's very intentionally kind of like stirring the pot and getting people very outraged and very uh, excited about this. So it's it's kind of impossible to engage with the idea uh, that he's advancing without getting a little bit into that, you know. But the one thing I'll say, and again, I don't want to get bogged down in this. The one thing I'll say, I do find it a little bit rich that the guy that's now out there lecturing everyone about not standing up to the Democratic Party establishment uh, well, like eight months ago, or, you know, coming up on a year ago, there was a pretty historic once in a generation opportunity to take on the Democratic Party establishment with Bernie Sanders campaign, which came quite close to like, uh, really subverting the power structure in the Democratic Party. And during that time, Jimmy Dore, the guy that's out there like yelling everyone and lecturing everyone about not being progressive enough, 
was supporting Tulsi Gabbard. So yeah, Queen I, Tulsi, let's go. Yeah, I find it a little bit rich that, yeah, this is the guy that's out there like yelling at everyone about refusing to take on the Democratic Party establishment because there was there was just a historic opportunity to do just that. And he kind of sat on the sidelines for it. Yeah, I can't take the Tulsi people seriously because it's just like she's someone who gets uh, donations from from defense contractors and weapons manufacturers and has like a series of really bizarre votes. Now she's on this like turf bullshit and, and an anti-abortion just thing ref- too. And anti, yeah, anti-choice. And it's just like, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm not with you. And, like, and, and, and dropped out of the presidential primary before Bernie did and endorsed uh-huh. Joe Biden. So it's like, yeah, she's, she's, she's no different. It's, it's not that. someone she's, to support if you're, if your big, you know, crusade is taking on the Democratic <laughs> Party establishment, uh, in exactly. my view. Exactly. But she was the only candidate to name drop him on the Joe Rogan podcast. So yes. there's that to oh, be accounted for. Okay, well, okay, then then she's perfect. <laughs> Again, we're not getting it's into like it. So, <laughs> yeah. It's so obviously cynical. Yeah. <laughs> like just careerist. It is, but I, I do want to try to engage with this idea without without getting too bogged down in like that kind of personal shit. Uh, because there are plenty of people yeah. that I do respect that are like advancing this, like Brianna Joy Gray. Kyle Kalinske, who's been on the show multiple times, he's been like in the mix about this. There's people that I like mm-hmm. a lot that are advancing this idea. So I do think it's worth like at least talking about it. I don't totally get yeah. why the fucking temperature has been turned up so much. I mean, or I guess I do. I do understand perfectly <laughs> why, which is that it's basically a procedural argument about how to take on the Democratic Party establishment, how to fight for, you know, uh, Americans to get single payer health care. Something that, like, if you're on the left, everyone is mostly in agreement on. It's just, like, a, a question of, like, procedure or tactics. Uh, and the reason that it's become so toxic is because there's one guy at the center of it uh, basically screaming at everyone that, that mildly criticizes them or mildly uh, rebukes the idea as being, like, a fake progressive, a neoliberal shill. It's a mask-off, like, neoliberal moments just like totally fucking absurd but like i said there are plenty of people that i like that are advancing this idea and i i I am interested in in getting more into like the merits of it without getting bogged down in like personal shit about the the comedian that's at the center of it yes please (laughs) i mean okay so one thing that i've noticed that i do think is being kind of is kind of disingenuous about the people that are advancing this argument um which is being it's being advanced under this idea that like we're the ones that want to do something and versus the other people who don't want to do anything you know we want we want americans to get health care and the other people that are disagree with this idea don't uh and it's getting mutated into this thing like uh, there's people that are like you know running cover for the democratic party establishment they don't want them to fight for health care in the middle of a pandemic and you know it's i think that's a really disingenuous framing and again there's people that i like that are kind of out there doing this kind of stuff uh this is a situation where they're advancing a plan which is like the reason that i'm kind of haven't been so sure about it um is because i don't really i still don't see despite all the arguments that are being made how this meaningfully gets anyone in America closer to achieving single-payer health care, uh, which is what the fucking goal is supposed to be. Like, people are talking about it like they could, like the squad or whoever has the power to actually enact this legislation, which is not true. Uh, you know, if they, if they go through this whole plan and everyone follows this exact kind of strategy, they force this vote. After this vote, no one in the United States is going to be anywhere closer to single-payer health care than they were before. <laughs> So framing it as like we're the ones that want to you know make this make this uh, conversation happen, and and give healthcare care to people who are struggling, versus the people that don't. I think right off the bat that kind of framing is not really helpful or like not really accurate. Yeah, certainly. Like, it's 
I like how you framed it earlier, how it is an argument about procedure that is also kind of getting bogged down in an argument about overall strategy. Because I think people on the broadly speaking progressive slash left, however you want to organize that out as being, we are very hyper aware of when Democrats promise one thing and then sell us short very often, very soon. And so we don't want that to happen very quickly. But again, it's being mixed with this idea that okay, by getting everyone on the record right now in a kind of relatively lame duck session, um, that it will, this way, and this is the one true, only pure way that we'll be able to understand which Democrats feel what way on Medicare for all and who's for it and who's against it. As if the record that they've already had and the voting record they've had on these things for those who um, retain their seats in the House of Representatives isn't already abundantly clear to people who, you know, like reading things or just, you know, just want to research into them. And I, and again, like, I think a lot of people are on this side very smart about this issue and understand this. And they're getting kind of hyped up in the moment and the idea that um, AOC has a particular amount of media power, which she does. Um, anything she talks about the right wing will try to distort and, and bother and annoy. But ultimately, we have to think of what are the incentives to Nancy Pelosi, because the argument for and the argument against this thing is that Nancy Pelosi has the power to call the vote in the House of Representatives. And so it's the pressure you have on her, but she's going to win the like speakership again, most likely. So are we just going to like piss her off right now instead of like actually mounting a fight and actually matching it with grassroots effort outside of Washington, D.C. to pressure um, the side of the Democratic Party that doesn't want Medicare for all that way? Are we going to do a harebrained idea that was kind of caught up in the last minute in the wake of this pandemic that honestly, I think a lot more people are like concerned about? Not that Medicare for all doesn't have intersectionality with this issue, but th this is a lot more of what I'd rather be spending my time on, at least right now. The maybe at this point, $500 stimulus checks with interest going down. But like, I, there's a certain kind of banality to where the strategy can go. Yeah. Uh, so I think about like even just on the vote itself, uh, we talked about it a little bit last week. I've talked about it basically all week uh, uh, with, with other people. It's not going to work out the way they think it is in their head. And it's uh, you know, unfortunate, but it's, it's much easier to, uh, you know, envision these scenarios in your mind than it would be, uh, you know, than it would play out in reality. So I think if, if you go to this moment where you have a debate on the floor or you call for a debate on the floor, you say, oh, we're not going to vote for you for speaker. Pelosi could just be like, OK, don't do it. Call their bluff. Go. You be the ones that go out there and then are telling telling the Democrats why Kevin McCarthy is now speaker. If you withhold your vote, go for it. Good luck. It's just absolutely going to backfire. And, and, and what Jimmy Dore and what proponents of the strategy think that this is the time to do it. Think that Pelosi is going to be like that? She's going to cower and 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 recoil at this at this at this ultimatum. No, she's going to call their bluff, and then in reality, they're not going to want to do that because no one wants Kevin McCarthy a speaker. They're going to balk, and then it's going to look like an absolute joke. So good luck. That this is this is this is the this is the scenario. This is what 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 they're going to have to deal with. Well, this is what I'm wondering too, which is that. Even if she didn't call their bluff, and even if she was just like, "You want a floor? You want to vote on Medicare for all? Sure, why not?" What I'm wondering is like, what is 
what happens after that? That's what I'm wondering. Like, I, almost, I almost want them to do it at this point, just so I can see this great victory that everyone's telling me is going to be like <laughs> lead to this huge like a groundswell of support for this legislation. Um, like I just don't get what this next step is supposed to be. I mean, so yeah, it's, that's what they're saying. Um, you know, well then we just take all the people that that went had to go out and explain that why we're not su- supporting giving people free health care in the middle of this pandemic, and we're just gonna like primary the bad Democrats. And it's like, oh, you're just gonna primary, yeah. fucking go for yeah, it. It's like, easy, it's, dude. If it's that easy, right? Just like I kind of thought that's what was already happening. The shitty Democrats, which we all know, like who these people are, um, they're already facing these kinds of challenges. Why I don't understand why this vote is necessary to uh, determine this stuff. Like you mentioned, Dan, um, this whole Democratic primary, that's what the whole primary was about, was about trying to support the one guy that supported these policies. And we all saw in real time the Democratic Party come together to ensure that he wouldn't be the nominee for this precise reason. Um, Like, it shouldn't be that difficult to convince people, if this is what the situation is, that the Democratic Party doesn't stand against, doesn't stand for these uh, policies. I mean, it's beyond clear at this point. They nominated, like, the most right-wing fucking guy that was running in the the, uh, primary. So this idea that just like, oh, once we do this vote, then people will know. Then people will know that the Democratic Party doesn't stand for these things. Uh, and then we'll just get rid of them. It's like, I feel like there's a little bit of magical thinking that's going into that. And like, you can you can just proceed to that second step right away. You don't need to go through this whole this whole process of like, force, like forcing this, uh, this vote to happen in order to do that. Like, you know, like you mentioned, just you, f- you can see the people that uh, through their actions and words don't support this stuff. So just if you want to primary them, fucking just go ahead and do it. I, you know, and, I support and a, it. Exactly. And, and a lot of the arguments that are being made, like the appeal of the left, what the like democratic socialist left is trying to build, especially right now, is a new kind of political universe or a group of people that are more worker focused, more worker engaged in these kinds of issues. So you should be able to kind of work and build this coalition with based on what we're doing in a long term kind of sense. Like it's, that's kind of what is currently being done. And the, the kind of arguments that are being made by everyone we agree with that like, we want Medicare for all, we want all of these things. It's a groundswell popular opinion, the polls kind of show it. So the fact that we people are already aware and the, the kind of people that we are kind of targeting in this new political universe are people who have been disaffected from the Democratic Party for these reasons. Like they already know that even though the vast majority of people want things, they're slow to go on the ball for, you know, whatever political purposes, usually money's involved, um, for what they, compared to what they actually want to serve for their constituents, right? So I think what this tactic is trying to prove are things that people already know and are already aware of. I think when people see the twelve hundred or yeah, when people like see the twelve hundred dollar checks earlier in twenty twenty and then maybe get the six hundred dollar checks in twenty twenty one optimistically, they'll understand what the Democratic Party's doing because everyone will know, even without paying attention to politics, well, hey, Joe Biden's almost president now or like about to be president now. So this is the best the Democrats got is less. So hopefully the Republicans are still in shambles enough and figuring out their party between the Trump wing and the quote unquote moderate wing. And there's able to be some, through their chaos, some sort of semblance, like like they're unable to really govern and get their policy together because they could easily outflank the Democrats, kind of as Trump was implying doing during the um, general election. And lose a lot of their potential base that I think a lot of the left especially has spent 
ever since especially 2016 and times before really trying to fight and build for and it'd be a really sad loss to lose that argument or kind of make much ado about nothing over this when there's again a lot of it isn't just what happens in media or what happens in the legislature which matters a lot but it's the grassroots organizing that's been happening for years that has been getting medicare for all more pressure at least on the state and local level yeah I think about the the fight for marriage equality and how activists and supporters and organizers wanted it years before it became a reality. And it felt like it happened late relative to a majority approval. And I think it did. And it feels very similar in timing. Not that I support this timeline, but it feels very similar. It's we're getting a bunch of people in support of it. We're organizing around it. We're talking about it. We're defanging this concept. We're making it seem way more palatable. but the implementation, uh, the acceptance, that kind of stuff. It's coming later relative to everyone's, the, the body politics acceptance of the idea and support of the idea. It feels like very similar timelines. And if you remember, it was like slow, slow, a state here, a state there, and then bam, all of a sudden at once. And granted, it's a different procedure because it went to the Supreme Court and various circuit courts, but it's it still feels like a very similar trajectory where we're going to like, it's going to feel slow and stagnant and then bam all at once because there's just, there's no justifying this broken private healthcare system anymore, especially right now. Yeah. Although the only thing I would say is that with marriage equality, like the Democrats opposed that until like the polls flipped on it and then they feel like they weren't losing anything by supporting it. Uh, but you can also see yeah. why they were able to make that decision because they weren't, they, there's not so much of a financial incentive for them to continue the status quo in place where this is the issue mm -hmm. with the Democratic Party, where even though the, this is a popular policy, as has been as we've talked about endlessly, uh, the reason they don't support it is because the the people that fund the Democratic Party, the insurance companies and the pharmaceutical companies, are going to ensure that that doesn't happen. Um, yeah. So this is all stuff that we all. I mean, this is a very serious problem. Uh, so is like Nancy Pelosi and the, and the right wing of the party. They're like iron grip on uh, on power. They're like kind of mafia like stranglehold on power of the Democratic Party. All this stuff is a really serious problem that needs to be like attacked. But that's why this argument I think has been so silly because I think everyone realizes this. It's the question of whether is the only question is whether doing forcing this vote is going to be the catalyst that like leads to that to change. And that's what I kind of don't really agree with. Um, and that's what that like, any of that nuance is getting lost because anyone that even remotely pushes back on this is being, you know, smeared as being a, a, a corporate shill or like a, a sellout to the, the Democratic Party establishment, who I would like nothing more than to see them all, you know, go down in flames and to have this legislation enacted. But it's a that's what the whole primary was about. I mentioned it last week. That was the power play. That was the power play to try and supplant the the sort of uh, power base, the the like establishment of the Democratic Party. And uh, it failed. It didn't work. And they, right now, in terms of like the actual electoral strategy, they're holding all the cards. And like you can do this kind of this this like political theater to try and raise awareness of this issue. But yeah, like we keep saying, it shouldn't be that hard to convince people if that's what your goal is that the Democratic Party stands against these these policies. There's plenty of evidence that you can show people without doing this vote. So if that's what the strategy is, then just, just skip to that step. That's kind of the way I view it. And like the only thing about the discourse is that because of the people or the person who is leading most of it, it has this extra layer of toxicity because we, again, like we're, this is a f battle within the left over strategy. We can't be this quick to say, based on a disagreement over strategy, that we are 
throwback for the ones in the room, Paige chills, <laughs> as like Jimmy Dore sometimes says. Like, you, we are the ones who are in agreement on, like, again, I, I my opinions on the man are kind of clear, but 75%, 80% of the issues we agree on, dude is like as angry about like police brutality and Black Lives Matter as I get. So like, yeah. I, I like, I, I give props to him on some things, right? But you shouldn't jump to the same sort of language and rhetoric that we use for genuinely corrupt Democrats like mm-hmm. Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer versus the progressives, the squad, like who are our closest resemblance to power in the House of Representatives and in the chambers of government. I'm not against, like Lord knows, I'm not against like criticizing uh, politicians, especially the squad for things they step out of line on and aren't great on. But like, Overall, I know who I kind of have disagreements with, but more or less can actually meet at the table with. And I know that there are a lot of people, most of the Democratic Party included, that I can't. So again, there's a little bit of strategy to be had here because this is not just the same sort of Democrat-Republican binary that a lot of people are in a like rhetorical loop about talking about. So they can't even change their rhetoric. We can't even have these disagreements without being accused of raking in the actually smaller than people realize like youtube money mm-hmm. on that point on the language point we i can't remember if i talked about it on this or on on stream but there was a clip of him to quote debating if you want to call it that i, I would i would argue that that kind of language and rhetoric just just dissolves any form of debate and just becomes into attacks but he was talking to matt stoller about this very issue and Matt raised the prospect of this backfiring and affecting committee seats and there's power in having good uh, committee appointments and door lashed out. It's like, Oh fuck off you fucking, you know, like that, yeah, that whole thing nerd. and refused to <laughs> engage on the point. Yeah. Three days later, AOC gets snubbed for energy and commerce. You know, it would make sense for her to be there because she's the co-sponsor of the green new deal. But you could argue this had something to do with it and also just granted she also gave that interview to the the intercept where she because right. of this controversy also, trying to address yeah. it mentioned yep. that yeah there should be new leadership in the democratic party but like what kind of like what do you what am i supposed to do about it exactly yeah like, yeah I'm what's the plan thing. how <clears throat> how are we going to address it and to that point yeah. i would argue that you know you want to like jaya paul's poise to to get that experience because she was saying like there's she's a second term congresswoman as much as people love katie porter like i brought this up on on TYT the other day, it's like, oh, I don't, I mean, there's no one really in line. Everyone's like, Katie Porter, Katie Porter. It's like, yeah, granted, you love her. I'm sure she's great. It's not, you don't just jump into becoming Speaker of the House. Yeah. Like you, the, there's a lot of procedural and parliamentary bullshit you have to familiarize yourself with. This is like a job for like a, probably like a five year, 10 year person. Like you, like you want someone who knows the inner workings of the system because you're going up against Mitch McConnell who is one of the most evil fucking people on the planet and has been in the system for decades and knows how to maneuver around you. You don't want a newbie just because they're popular. So she's she's arguing like, look, look we need someone with experience, someone who knows the system, someone who'll do it. And the next day, and she says that to the intercept, the headline is AOC says Pelosi and Schumer need to go. That causes another conversation. Energy and Commerce, she gets snubbed in favor of Kathleen Rice, who was previously snubbed for committees because she tried to challenge Pelosi's power. Right. Like, I, I don't know what more you need to see to say like, this is like when they're picking committee seats and they're and they're appointing people to committees. The last thing you need you want to be doing is is 
picking fights with Pelosi. Seth Moulton, who was rumored to be the one that was going to challenge her in 2018, immediately turned around, started kissing her ass after he backed out because he knew he knew that committee seats were in play. Yeah, like this. She is a vengeful person. Like, it's not like it has nothing to do with you. It's just you got to fucking play the game. That's why you're there. Exactly. I really and I admire the energy a lot. The energy that we need to come out of the gate, use as much intention as we have early on into this administration yeah, in order to make sure that these new Democrats like that have been, just been elected in, uh, the Joe Biden administration, et cetera, who are not giving us like really great looks so far, but to make sure they own up to the like kind of pseudo deal they made with the progressives. Like, Listen, it's I mean it's not even like a deal I made with progressives because to be clear, they gave progressives very little if anything. Um, sure, they'll say most progressive party platform in history, but like okay, that's just time. Yeah, <laughs> like, and the given pla- time, platform is meaningless. It's one hundred percent meaningless. Absolutely, it's it's just a document for the convention, and it was all virtual, so yeah. it's even more mm-hmm. moot. But like we decided we didn't want trump because that was the extreme other option and so we settled with biden we literally settled with biden and turnout was insane um for biden and helped even these the turnout was so good that trump's attempts at subverting the discourse are like the only thing that i find even less likely and worth my time talking about than even this kind of like discussion here that's like popping off because of a youtube comedian right but like those attempts look really futile and weak because progressives and activists turned out the vote during unprecedented times to go for joe biden now we want some return on investment and like i'm absolutely for pushing for that return on investment so in spirit of what folks like jimmy Dore and brianna joy gray and kyle kalinsky are talking about I do not disagree, yeah. but okay. At a, at a certain point, rubber hits the road. We got to like <laughs> implement something outside of theory. And like, we, we are looking at our options here and we, we're not playing well. So l- let's figure out how to do these same things. When Biden's inaugurated, the moment he is like walking in the office and every day afterwards, and that's not like <laughs> fire blanks right now. Like before we even like have left our shores it's like let's not own goal ourselves right now and just hit, take that morale hit as we're going into this already really tough administration. Yeah. Well, no, this is something. This is another thing that I just find ridiculous about this. Like we've talked about this endlessly for the last year on this show, which is that the Democratic Party, like as it's constituted, is completely hostile to the goals of the sort of progressive uh, side of the party. Like the whole Biden's entire fucking campaign should prove this. Biden's cabinet appointments. Um, the fact that Pelosi has this kind of grip on power and then won't let these things come to the floor. I mean, it, it couldn't be more clear that this party is completely hostile to these things. So definitely uh, strategies do need to be adopted because, I, you know, I don't believe that the Biden administration can be like moved left. But there's also you can see the sort of uh, 2022 uh, car collision coming on the horizon. You know that they're going to get wiped out if they're following this kind of centrist uh, triangulating strategy. Uh, we all know what the, the result of that's going to be. So there definitely does need to be something uh, from the left side of the party to try and, and make an impact somehow. The question is whether, you know, forcing them to do this vote is the, is the way to do that. And that's what I've never really been convinced on. And like you said, it's like um, these these fights do need to happen. They do need to put pressure on these people. Absolutely. But, you know, maybe right at this moment, 
when these these committee assignments are being uh, given out um, before like before this fucking Senate race has even happened or before Trump yeah. has even left office. It doesn't mean like, oh, just like pocket, you know, put this in her back pocket for uh, the next couple of years and, oh, we'll get him next time or something. 100% these fights do need to happen. Um, I question the the strategy of, of having this like this knockdown drag out fight now over something that once again will not get Americans closer to achieving single payer healthcare. Um, you know, if that if that was meaningfully on the table, I would support it. But we're talking about a situation where you're forcing a vote that everyone knows is going to get crushed three to one. Use the same strategy for whatever piece of legislation they're trying to push through. Use it for that. Use it in a situation where you're not going to hand over power to the Republicans. Like just there's so many opportunities for negotiation in a new administration in the first 100 days. They're going to be trying to get as much done as they can before summer recess, before people come back and start to focus on midterms. Use it then. There's so many different opportunities where they're going to need your buy-in. Don't be the messenger in that moment uh, on behalf of shitty compromise legislation. Don't be the progressive that goes out there and is like, oh, this is the most progressive administration ever. We're so excited. This is a robust plan. We've never had this kind of, you know, whatever before. Don't be that person. Be Hold your feet firm, plant your feet firm, and and, and use that moment. Use the leverage you have in that moment where there's no risk of making Kevin McCarthy speaker. <laughs> yeah, God. Yeah, and if you want, I can give oh a little Canadian God. analogy too uh, to, to uh, illuminate this for some people because this is this wow. is something that just happened yes, in uh, the Canadian government a few weeks ago. Um, of course, throughout the pandemic, as in America, Canadian billionaires and the wealthiest people in this country have, have become like much, much more wealthy. Um and which is like an outrage. That's you know that rightfully makes people very angry. Uh, one thing that the NDP has been proposing is a wealth tax. Um, which again, if you look at the polling, this polls extremely well across the political spectrum. Uh, a, a a wealth tax that taxes the absolute wealthiest people in the country. What the NDP proposed was very very modest, like a one percent wealth tax that would affect a few thousand families in this country. Would raise a lot of money. This is an incredibly popular proposal. Uh, polls extremely well. Uh, and when they uh, they advanced this proposal, uh, Justin Trudeau and the Liberal Party uh, combined with the Conservative Party and the Bloc Québécois to ensure that it did not happen. And guess what has changed? Nothing. Nothing has changed. Trudeau's poll numbers unchanged. Like it's meant. Like there's not this now groundswell of people out outraged. Why are you doing this? Uh, you know what is what has happened? How can you not support this incredibly popular policy? These conversations don't just like magically happen. And I think that's another thing, which is that you know, so people have pointed out um, with regards to the Democratic Party. If you look at people like actual voters, um, many of them believe that Biden and the Democratic Party do support this policy. And this whole point of like doing this vote is that like once you, you convince these people that are kind of misinformed about this and you can kind of illuminate, you know, oh, they actually don't support this like very popular policy, which is going to lead to this, this um, you know, groundswell of, of support. But I think what you would see, frankly, is you would have a lot of rank and file Democrats who kind of like get their marching orders from the MSNBC and from the establishment of the Democratic Party, who would, if this vote happened, this would just be explained. They would end up being like, oh, so they voted it down because, uh, you know, it's too expensive, uh, because it's whatever whatever bullshit reason they have for, for not supporting it in the center of the Democratic Party. Uh, and a lot of rank and file Democrats would be like, oh, okay, well, then it looks like we dodged a bullet on that one. And then they would just kind of like move on to something else. I just, I don't think that what this this next scenario 
as I've pointed out before, I feel like there's a lot of magical thinking involved in like what comes next after this vote. Um, and I just don't think what what advocates of this plan are suggesting would actually unfold that way. I think it would end up just being kind of buried. Uh, and that would be like all that all that political capital and everything would be kind of like wasted. And this this groundswell of grassroots support, I just don't I just don't think it would materialize this way. These people are kind of suggesting that it would. Yeah, like, I, I wish. Yeah, sure. Like, I genuinely wish. And if, if if it seemed more like it were like a possibility, then I again would very much look at it and consider the circumstances and the chances and go for it. Like Bernie Sanders was also kind of a long shot, but I gave that my all, as I know a lot of other people did, and a couple other people didn't. But like at the end of the day, we have to look at like you were saying. I really appreciate that moment earlier. Like with twenty twenty two and kind of the good track that we are on to continue getting a lot more seats, maybe even get even more than we got in 2020, speaking as like the sort of quote unquote squad kind of sense. And (laughs) there's only so much political capital to go around. It's a very scarce resource. And we already know it doesn't exist for the left. So what little exists right now, this is just a, it seems like a failure to launch. And Rob, you mentioned this a little bit. Basically, it's like, this doesn't really seem like it's plausible. And we talked about it to an extent last week, but this is a scenario where they want that moment to talk about it. They want to put uh, opponents of Medicare for all, uh, catch them on their heels, and have them go out there and explain, oh, why they don't support it. And as we're talking before the show, and as you talked elsewhere, like and to your extent about to your comments about MSNBC, they are going to rally behind corporate Democrats and Republicans across the board. They're not going to go out there and ask. Uh, Tim Ryan or whatever uh, about why he why he opposes Medicare for all. It's going to be like, oh, so you you've been saying this is unpopular, and now we know, and now we have proof. And it's going to be conversations like that. They're going to validate op- uh, opponents of Medicare for all, and they're going to and they're going to continue to cheerlead uh, these moderates and these Republicans. You're not going to have the conversations that you want, like you can have on your YouTube channel. And I don't think people really re- realize that. Additionally, on Tim Ryan, people like him and other people in the Congressional Progressive Caucus and even co-sponsors of Medicare for All need to uh, basically get kicked off <laughs> of that legislation or and, and also get kicked out of the CPC because these are there's people who are bogging down the Congressional Progressive Caucus who claim to support these things, will never actually fight for them or do anything, and then really dilute the CPC's power. You have to vote. As a voting block, the, the Congressional Black Caucus has been doing it for years successfully. Now people need and, and need and want the CBC's vote, and they will cater legislation and priorities uh, to their interests. There, there's no similar effort or, or power in, in the CPC. So aren't they making more of an effort now, though? I think to like limit who can yes. get into the caucus and to try and do exactly what you're talking about. And also, you mentioned Jaya yes. Powell is actually starting a Medicare for All caucus. I think for that exact mm-hmm. reason, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of the stuff that people are asking, like, there, it is already sort of in progress. That's kind of one of the mm-hmm. things I keep pointing out, especially like the whole primarying bad Democrats. Yes. Primary the fucking bad Democrats. This has been like an ongoing process through every election. You're seeing more of these happen, more of these like insurgent campaigns happen. Um, we've been talking about them a lot, right? I mean, it's like, it's, it's the idea that, oh, once this vote happens, then 
all these people are going to have targets on their backs. Like a lot of them, there's already a process in place to try and replace these people. Like we know who they are. We know who the people that are holding up uh, progress in the Democratic Party are. Um, and the, there is already an ongoing process of trying to replace all these people. Yeah. I, I, at the end of the day, this, again, hopefully, I hope this discourse does <laughs> not go for another week. But I hope that if anyone takes some learning experience, which they probably won't, but if there is some learning experience to be had from this, it's that it is going to be a really rough, weird kind of next four years. And at least I'm thinking in a two-year term to the midterm elections. But it's going to be very interesting, and we're going to be fighting a very different but familiar battle with mainstream Democrats. And we we can't fall for the we're not on Twitch right we can't fall for the simp <laughs> shit like we we can't like we can't do this lame sort of like thing where we are not thinking about the power base that we have spent years building around Medicare for all like David Sorota said a really good thing about this as well in like his daily poster um, Substack I believe but corporate shill David Sorota who's we, been his of course his whole career uh, yeah, kowtowing to the Democratic though. Party establishment yeah th th there's this argument that oh they've been spending decades and years doing this look what we've done in two weeks it's what it's made everyone mad this this it, isn't David's, politics David's done yeah this isn't politics yeah, yeah th this isn't politics being done here it's just like again it's a lighting of the fire of discourse that happens to be conveniently funneled back to the revenue streams of certain people. And so we have to use the strengths that the left has, like as a left organizing and coalescing power base, to at least when we're having these disagreements, absolutely have these disagreements, but understand that, like, there's some like language and terms and rhetoric we'll use for Republicans, and there's some language and rhetoric we'll use for mainstream like establishment corporate sellout Democrats, and then there's like language we're going to use for people who we can take an objective look at their record and know that they've delivered results for us. And I think we're going to like have to relearn that discourse that not everything's like a Trump takedown or a Trump destroys thing. Like we've got to. The thing I said, like familiar but different from what I said earlier, is that it, it, I think it's just going to be like a like the Paul Ryan Barack Obama consensus, but like if you're drugged out on pain <laughs> or something, like it's just going to be a really weird time warped version of that. We're just like rehashing the same sort of neoliberal arguments where all of a sudden Republicans are deficit hawks again, and then Democrats go, "Well, see, I don't know. I didn't know they would bring up the deficit. <laughs> I guess they got a point. Like it's just." We're going to be going through this shit again, and at least this time, it's not like a disparate sort of movement on the left that has all the energy but doesn't have these systems. Not only is the left more organized now and prepared for this sort of like bullshit rhetoric and the fact that we have media institutions and ecosystems that are ready to combat this, but honestly, like the conditions require it now more than ever for the left to get things together because the same conditions that were bad before the Trump administration, before COVID-19 for progressive issues such as like climate and wealth and inequality and those sort of things are only worse and remedies for them are only more urgent. So it's 
like shit's a lot more real than a YouTube comedian and like these like harebrained ideas, like eyes on the goddamn prize. This is what we've got to focus yeah, on. And Jordan, you mentioned Matt Stoller. Like, first of all, if you're going to scream at Matt Stoller, stre- scream at Matt Stoller for his fucking deranged anti-China obsession that he has. Like that, I would find that funny if Jimmy Dore yelled at Matt, Matt Stoller for mm-hmm. that. But when he's bringing up like a somewhat nuanced point and like pushing back ever so slightly on this idea and that's how you respond, that's when you know that it's not about building consensus or like building a movement or doing anything. It's just about creating this kind of false us versus them dichotomy and driving outrage. Um, and, and that's all it's about. Uh, if people were interested in actually building a consensus for this idea, they probably wouldn't respond to this kind of minor pushback. Uh, in the way that in the way that they are. Yeah, that, no, on that on that point, um, it, it's this is a system that is is filled with red tape and, and, and obstacles and roadblocks. And it's very frustrating. And to that extent, it, it, it is it's really great at, at blocking momentum and, and slowing people down. And what I think people don't quite grasp is just how obtuse of a system it is and i like i get it i understand the frustration it's it's a fucking headache and it's a lot easier to sit there and be like just go out and do it just what are you doing just go pass it just go call for a vote demand a vote when there's like you know loopholes and and procedural roadblocks and parliamentary procedures that you have to abide by you can't just do some of these things it's it's very easy to legislate uh on youtube but they 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 can't they can't really grasp that yeah well, and also it's the kind of thing that if there was a consensus in the Democratic Party that you could pass a bill in the House and then the Senate could block it potentially, <laughs> that would be a strategy. That would be like a real strategy. Yeah. And people have pointed yep. to like the Tea Party thing as well, too, right? You just do what the Tea Party does. Like they they knew that they were not going to pass, they were not going to block uh, Obamacare, but they voted for it like eighty times or whatever it was, and then they just continued that kind of uh, obstinate you know strategy until they got uh, they got all this power. And there's a few differences also, which is one is that the the Republican Party, even though they were against a lot of these Tea Party guys initially. In terms of like what they were actually pushing, like the Republican Party was in 100% agreement that they did want to do a lot of these things. Uh, and it wasn't just more a question of like tone uh, and the sort of people that were being involved in it. Um, so they would, they did, even though there was kind of an insurgent movement within the Republican Party, they did agree on a lot of stuff. And this is a completely kind of different situation where you have this kind of like fundamental opposition to the actual like goals um, in terms of what the what the proposals are, uh, so it's not quite the same thing, and that's what I think it comes down to also, which is that a lot of these for a lot of these people, even if they're saying you know this is about getting people health care, what it's really about is just exposing that the Democratic Party sucks, um, which is something I happen to agree with. <laughs> you know, I spend a lot of time <laughs> talking about it on this show and, and elsewhere, um, and I think that's what a lot of this stuff is, especially when it comes to guys like Dorr and a few others that are involved in this conversation, which is that they're trying to build momentum for a like progressive uh, third party. Uh, and they just want people to just abandon the Democratic Party entirely. And, you know, that's something that I'm kind of I'm sympathetic to that idea because the Democratic Party does suck. Absolutely. <laughs> Fuck the Democratic Party. They haven't done like shit for I mean, again, like they've done marginally better than the Republicans, but the times call for better than marginally better. And it's not like there's the issues with how hard it is to govern in the halls of government and how hard it is to get policy through. Like they, their opening bargaining positions are far less than what the people need or more importantly, what the people voted them in to do. So like, it, you're exactly right there. Yeah. But that's the thing. It's like, I understand the idea of wanting to have a, a, a new party to support. Um, 
the unfortunate thing is with American democracy, it's created in such a way to make this virtually fucking impossible uh, as much as like that's absolutely needed. Like there already are like there already is a Green Party, like the Green Party had a pretty good platform uh, in in some of these past elections um, and have some decent people involved with it. Uh, the, you know, there already is third parties. The, the problem is there's like a fundamental infrastructure that's in place to like ensure that any kind of progressive third party only uh, benefits the right and only leads to further entrenchment of conservatives uh, over like all levels of the government. Um, so that's what I think a lot of this conversation is about, is about building support for this idea, which uh, no matter how much I might agree that that might be necessary, I don't really see any feasible way that this is going to materialize in a way that actually leads to progressive gains for people in the United States. Yeah, I'm it. I just I can't I can't get on board with it. I want and this is OK. This is the thing. This is where people lose their minds. It's a a disagreement with approach and tactics conflated with you don't want Medicare for all. We do. We all do. All of us do. And this is where I think that it's it's people are losing their minds because we really don't have much input over this or influence or involvement. And we're all just kind of spectating. We're just we're just fucking sports fans fighting in the bleachers. We have very little control or influence over this. And if we disagree with this guy or people who agree with him, suddenly now we don't want Medicare for all. And that's you, you've lost me there because that's just that's, it's my way or the highway. It's not. Yeah, me. it's it's an absurd premise because like it would be one thing if it was like somebody who supported a candidate who didn't back Medicare for all disagreeing with you or, you know, or someone who actually, you know, actually does. And I, we people use this defense uh, when they're a little bit more moderate or when they're just kind of like a shitty Democrat. No, here we actually do all want the same things because we all were behind the same policies and proposals in the primary. Well, except for Jimmy Dorn. <laughs> and uh, everyone else. And that's what I see, like people that we like and friends of the show all fighting and this kind of stuff. And it's like, it sucks because we all want the same things. And I know we do. And we all have very little input over this. And it's just kind of breaking people apart because we're all frustrated. We all want health care. We all want Medicare for all. But some of us feel this isn't the way that's going to do it or advance us. It might even, some feel it might and this is the camp I'm in. It might set us back to then insinuate that people are. It's Robin, uh, Dan, in our group last night joked that that kid just claimed people were mask off neoliberals <laughs> for not supporting Jimmy Dore's idea. Like, go fuck yourself. I can't. I, I it just 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 you're you're walking around with a fucking nuns cap on. Yeah. Like, not someone who should be taken seriously or listened to. Like, that's that's fucking stupid. Yeah. It's it's tactics. Yeah. And I completely get the why people are frustrated, like I said last week. And like, that's the whole thing. People people supported the Bernie Sanders campaign for this exact reason that the Mm -hmm. the the corporatists and the the sort of center right figures, leadership, of the Democratic Party have had this stranglehold on the party for generations. Obviously, it's a huge problem. Everyone is fed up with it. Everyone that considers themselves remotely on the left, which in the United States means like you're forced to support this like awful party. Bernie Sanders, his campaign was the like the moonshot to try and 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 shift that and try and chip away at the, the like seemingly limitless power that these people have. And it didn't work. And that's why, you know, everyone is extremely still pissed off about that and frustrated with how it played out. Particularly, you saw how the Democratic Party establishment literally come together 
in order to ensure that that didn't happen. You know, they've made it completely clear that they are hostile to this kind of stuff. Um, so I understand absolutely why people are starting to strategize about how, if this, okay, this didn't work, how do we now advance these goals? That's like a 100% worthwhile conversation to have. And it could be like yeah. a productive conversation where people kind of, you know, had an input and, and contributed different ideas. But it's just the temperature has been turned up so much. Uh, it's so toxic. And you have so many people just like completely melting down, even people that I agree with, people that I like a lot. And that's when you know, it's like it's there's nothing really like meaningful that's being accomplished here. It's just like a complete like outrage cycle that's being driven um, by people who do stand to gain from that. And like, yeah, like we shouldn't, we shouldn't just focus on that. We should debate the idea on the merits, but that's an inescapable fact of, of how this mm -hmm. conversation is getting like um, pushed or pushed. That, that's an, such a really good point, Rob. And like in, in an attempt to hopefully not like rekindle extremely dead fires, but like <laughs> it, it's sort of reminiscent of what I felt during times of like the Bernie Warren sort of like er era of the Democratic primary, yeah. because up until like the near end like Bernie and Warren, like weren't really fighting each other. They were like going against as much as the media tried to pit them against each other. They were pretty f squarely in an ideology broadly of the left. But of course the primary season got tougher and like the rhetoric between Bernie and Warren, both like as candidates, but also as it trickled down to their supporters was like ratcheted up to that yeah. level to the point where people remember those grudges. And like, I, uh, there are a lot of Warren people who I think like were honestly some of my friends and were like winnable to come over to like the democratic socialist side of things altogether. But like because of that one experience, for better or worse, like it's left a really like bad taste in their mouth of even working with us coalitionally to begin with. And I'm not saying that's like bent to begin with, and then like every Warren supporter, like we have to make sure to have them on their side. But it's another example, a juxtaposition of when we have fights like this that are really close to home with people we have ideologically with people that we often disagree with it's another case to make sure to keep things kind of civil because we are definitely going to be working with each other as a movement because if we keep splitting up like this like power and capital are going to continue to win and like if i again sorry i understand I'm taking up a lot of space but no, like please. the i i the brianna joy gray and benjamin dixon sort of back and forth with me as a black like leftist is particularly uncomfortable because the sort of language used in that sort of argument i reserve for people like candace owens yeah. people like diamond and silk people i disagree with to that kind of fervor yeah. and i have a lot of disagreements with like brianna joy gray and benjamin dixon but i would never really question their integrity as black people because of the disagreements because they're on the left like they're on my side they understand the struggle that a lot of our brothers and sisters and like folks of other races in a similar like working class struggle are going through with that similar class consciousness that a lot of black leftists do not have or black Democrats do not have. So I am not going to reserve my like harshest criticisms for people on my team because I'm really heated in this argument. It, again, goes to say, let's not like maybe use a gaming analogy. Let's not use our anti-aircraft weaponry on our teammates Let, let's if we're gonna friendly fire let's just like fuck around with pistols and shit but like let's not go all Slappers in only. the same we would <laughs> exactly right like let's not go all in on our own the same way we would our actual like real enemies that we can't unite with that we can't really build bridges with i think i touched on everything that i had for this jordan do you have anything else no, I'm good. I'm, I cannot wait for the story to be over. <laughs> yeah, me too. I, I'm 
down for like literally any other discourse. Um, do, do you, this is like really soon before the end, but I know you'll probably do more episodes on this, but what are your thoughts on Georgia right now? Because my kind of concern with this story is the one thing I'll say the Biden sort of camp or school of running a democratic election in 2020 was that if you sit back and coast and let the Republicans eat each other, that might get you some like electoral wins and help you with some like media cachet and attention. And so I haven't been paying attention much to cable news for my own mental health, but I don't know how much to this extent this fight on the left or even this to the extent that it's become an AOC versus Pelosi wing of the party type thing. At the same time, the cable news media is looking for more media drama to continue to sustain their post-election ratings. I don't know to what extent that's really permeated the media ecosystem and space, but I would be concerned that the Democrats in disarray narrative could potentially hurt the writing on the disastrous nature of the Republicans' behavior kind of narrative that at least Democrats are banking on in Georgia. So do you think this will have, I guess, a nice like bow to end this horrid, horrid round of the discourse? Is like, do you all think, and you're more like knowledgeable opinion in me than this, that this kind of drama or the overall infighting with the left drama can be overplayed to the benefit of the Republicans and the Georgia runoff? I don't know. I have I have thoughts that I don't know if I want to express about the Georgia runoff yet. Uh, I have to be careful for, for other reasons. Um, Fair. I don't know. I, I think at the end of the day, I think, well, I think the Republicans have been eating themselves over the support of Trump and the support of his um, anti-democratic measures to overturn the results of the election or contest them or deny them, whatever. I think they are coming around to that. I think originally they had resisted it. Now they just see power and they're just like, yeah, whatever. We'll just do whatever. Uh, yeah, I think there's there's great risk of them kind of absolving any sort of like cannibal like cannibalism from their from their base. Yeah, and I think it seems like another case of especially with Ossoff, Warnock seems a little bit better, but how he's kind of one of these t- typical Democrats who we always talk about, uh, who we hate, who don't really stand for anything, who's out there saying mm-hmm. things like healthcare is a human right while explicitly stating that he does not support Medicare for all. Um, so that's one thing I'm concerned with, even though the, the Georgia, the candidates, uh, the Republican candidates, what is it? Loeffler and Purdue? Is that it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. They just seem like absolutely fucking awful and that it would, you know, it seems like just on the merits, uh, they probably should not win because of how fucking terrible they are. But of course the Democrats are running a traditional campaign where they don't, they kind of fail to actually stand for anything, uh, which is the one thing that we always keep saying that we want them to do. That's what this whole argument's about. Um, but yeah, I do also kind of feel like the Democratic Party establishment, even if they if they don't win both of these seats, I feel like they're going to be breathing a sigh of relief because then no one's going to be able to hold them accountable for not doing anything. Uh, and they will force them to like uh, work with conservatives and work with Republicans, which is all they ever want to do anyways. It's all Biden wants to do. Uh, so it's just kind of like set, setting up for, um, you know, I feel like if they do win both of these Senate seats, they're going to have all this pressure all of a sudden to actually pass some uh, legislation that helps people, which, as we know, uh, they're kind of allergic to. So it's, it's I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I'm not really sure. But yeah, I'm not uh, to your question, Dan. I don't know if uh, if this whole I just that's another stupid thing about the whole argument that we're having is that I do feel like it's taking place between basically a few dozen people online. And I don't know if it's going to have any fucking oxygen outside of that. Uh, so I don't know if anyone. I, hope yeah, not. I don't know if anyone else is going to pick up on if it. If there's one thing I can get out of 2020, it's that like this is 
just like a couple of Politico articles and a couple of tweets that I can just try to bury with the rest of my memory of this horrible year. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I'm always worrying because, I mean, I know I've been in media. I see how like Fox does an AOC story because the AOC stories get clicks. And so uh, they will glob onto any kind of palace intrigue they can to help their side. And I always worry about that media narrative. But I do kind of think that there is not a lot of oxygen here. So that gives me some amount of solace, at least in that aspect. But I think like, as was alluded to earlier, there's another bunch of issues going on in Georgia that are worth kind of pointing a light to. That hopefully putting this issue to bed allows for more space to do. Yeah. I guess before we go, I mean, it's one th- one thing, I, Jordan, I wanted to get you to weigh in because now that this, now that this situation has happened with uh, AOC getting kind of uh, very pointedly denied this this important seat, do you think, like, I'm just wondering how you think she's going to kind of take that rebuke? Because, you know, like we pointed out, that obviously the Democratic Party is hostile to um, her agenda, the agenda that she's trying to put forward. It seems kind of like they're sometimes just trying to get her to give up and give up on uh, being in electoral politics because you can see how she creates a, a headache for them by getting people to, like, expect them to do things. Um, do you think, you know, how is she going to respond to this? Do you think that she's going to try and fall in line even more? Or now that kind of this bargaining chip has been taken off the table, do you think throughout the Biden administration do you, that she might be more open to like openly challenging the power base of the of the party, which I think we would be a good thing? Oh man, <laughs> I don't know. I was I've been thinking about that, and it's 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 a mix of what I hope she does, which is you know challenges the the power base, and just I think she, her comments a couple weeks ago kind of hinted that she doesn't like it there. When they were asking her if she was going to run for um, Senate, she was like, I don't even know if I want to be here that long. Yeah. You know, that's just, I get it. It's like, like I just said, it's like a, it's a system with a ton of roadblocks, procedural hurdles that just make change next to impossible uh, by design. And if I were her, I'd be frustrated because she's, you know, kind of thrust in this conversation by a lunatic who doesn't really care. And now she's getting snubbed on a committee that would have been extremely helpful to tackle climate change with the Green New Deal, which she's the co-sponsor of. And you're going to get corporate-friendly environmental policies. So like her signature legislation, she's kind of blocked out from advancing in that committee or championing in that committee or even um, progressive solutions to it. So that's going to be tough. I'm sure that's probably infuriating. I, I, I don't know. I, I If I had to guess, though, I think she would take more of the working within the system approach a lot more collegial, a lot more friendly to kind of curry favor with 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 the with leadership. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I like because I, I do think that these people do need to be challenged and do need to be taken on. Um, <laughs> that's the thing, and like that's that I think would be disappointing uh, for me because now now that this has happened, I like that I would like to see that approach more. Um, the question is, is you know, as going back to this whole vote idea, uh, this Medicare for all vote, does that actually advance the cause of Medicare for all, or does it set it back? That's kind of what the argument is. Um, but do I like should should AOC and the squad and these other progressive uh, Congress people challenge the the very shitty you know centrist uh, corporatist people in the Democratic Party that are pulling the pulling the strings behind the party? Yeah, absolutely. And I would hope that sh- that she would take that rebuke and hopefully not just like double down on trying to play nice with these people because i do think that ultimately they are hostile to their interests like they're she pointed out in the election like if it was like a european democracy she would probably be in a different party than joe biden um Mm -hmm. somehow that does need to be reconciled uh and i think everyone is agreement on that yep 
Yeah, absolutely. Dan, we went really, we went pretty long here. Thanks for joining the show. We really appreciate it. It was great to talk to you. No, it's an honor. Thank you for having me on. And I do very much enjoy the insurgents and the podcast that's going on. So very much appreciate you for yeah bringing me on. Yeah, it was a pleasure. It, you just started on Twitch, didn't you? You just started a new show on Twitch. Yes. Um, so it's called Thank Dan, It's Friday. And in oh, 2021, yeah. it'll properly be on Fridays at 5 Eastern, 2, uh, 2 Pacific at twitch.tv slash sourcestream. And I also do a podcast called Audio Face, audioface.show for the links for that, where we review music every single week. And it's my break from politics, so I don't blow my brains out. <laughs> cool. Nice. Looking forward to the show. And congrats. Thank we're you. All, we're all on um, Twitch. We're all also, part of the Hassan Piker Network now on Twitch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we have to have each other on each other's shows. Yeah, so definitely. Spread the network, grow. Absolutely. <laughs> all right, well, it was a pleasure to break this stuff down with you, Dan. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Insurgents. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can find us on iTunes or Spotify or at Substack, theinsurgents.substack.com. You'll get the latest episodes delivered straight to your inbox as well as our newsletter. On Twitter, we are at InsurgentsPod. Tweet at us, harass Ken in our replies, and then send us your hate mail to theinsurgentspod at gmail.com. Thank you once again for listening. <laughs>